Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Just because I'm scared too Doesn't mean I won't do What I set out to do What I was born Hello everybody And welcome Somebody to the premiere episode of Barker Room Radio My name is John Michael Gomez. I'm an artistic associate here at Barker Room Rep And I will be your guide into and out of each episode of the show On today's episode we have Barker Room Radio's very own Paul Ketchum Sitting down with playwright Erin Courtney To talk about her play a Map of Virtue, which, as it turns out, is about to be Barker Room Rep's first full-length production. The play opens on November 4th and runs until November 18th. Come see the show. It's gonna be awesome. Information and tickets are available at our website, www.barkerroomrep.org. That's www.barkerroomrep.org. Now that that's all out of the way, please enjoy the interview. I'll be back afterwards to close out the show. Hi, everybody. Uh, This is Paul Ketchum, uh, ahead of the production of A Map of Virtue by Erin Courtney. And I have Erin Courtney right here. We are sitting in her kitchen in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Hi, Erin. Hi. Hi, Paul Ketchum. Uh, I'm very happy to be here in my kitchen talking about a map of virtue with you today. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm very pleased and I'm sure many other people are also very pleased for this event. Uh, so, uh, Barker Room Rep in Los Angeles, there, there uh, run by uh, our good friend Mark Sitko, who's putting up your play, uh, Map of Virtue. Correct. Um, at the beginning of November, right? Yes. Yes, they are. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, this play, A Map of Virtue, I saw it. What is that? 2012? Yep. Is that, that's when, 2012. That's when it went up. Um, and I thought it was great. It was wonderful. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about this play? Ah, great. Well, um, uh, this play is... Well, maybe I'll tell you a little bit about how the play... Where the play came from. Oh, excellent. Um, so I, <laughs> uh, I have had been writing plays for a while. And then uh, I had children. And so it was harder to write plays. Sure. So uh, my husband, Scott Atkins, and I were invited to go to a silent retreat in the woods without our children. And uh, it was run by a very mysterious and magnificent playwright named Eric N. Um, And so we went out into the woods for like, it was only 36 hours. But I was petrified because it was going to be in silence. And I hadn't had silence in my life for about five or six years mm-hmm. and I had I, I was actually really frightened of the idea of silence so we went on this and it was the first now these silent retreats run by Eric and are kind of uh, a lot of people have done them now they're not they're not quite as mysterious uh, to the world as they were at that and, moment and a lot longer now than 36 now, hours <laughs> yeah now they're 10 days long <laughs> in the middle of Texas in a ranch house <laughs> and other places too so we went up into the woods and um, and I brought a lot of fear with me so, uh, so one thing this play about is about fear, but that's um, 
to to be found when you come see it hopefully so then um oh let me let me skip ahead let me give the overview and then we'll come back mm-hmm. to the silent retreat sounds good so we did the silent retreat and in this during the silent retreat i wrote the first half of the play approximately and it was very much um inspired by uh, eric's exercises and 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 a subconscious subconscious subject matter kind of a dreamlike subject matter uh and then I got halfway through and then I was stuck because I thought, how do I, how do I continue? How do I write a, how do I return to society and write a play that is um, really deeply subconsciously, um, the imagery in the story is coming from my subconscious. And how do I return to my everyday life and and finish this play? So I didn't know how to finish it for a long time. And then I read a book that was recommended to me by the wonderful Mac Wellman called Thinking in Circles by Mary Douglas that talks about um, plays, I mean, uh, literary structures that are symmetrical and circular. And I thought, oh, well, if I just make it a circle, I know the first half, and then the second half can mirror the first half. Uh, And so once I knew that structure, then I was able to create sort of uh, an analogous second half in which the second half mirrors the first half but in a new way because the main event happens in the middle. Yeah, symmetry is very important for this play. Yes. Um, and not just not just literary symmetry, but um, uh, artistic symmetry, visual symmetry is also very important, right? Yes, yeah, I was a, I was a painter, I'm still a painter, but um, I found that the way that painters talk about painting, the language of painters is very helpful. Uh, and one thing that I love in plays is symmetry, a structural symmetry and a visual symmetry in plays. And so I, uh, I, I found I was always writing symmetrical plays anyway. So in th- this mm. was the first time I did it on purpose. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, yeah. And so when this play went up the first time, um, it was uh, part of this uh, production company, I guess you could call them, 13P. Correct. Which is no longer around. Yes, we imploded on purpose. <laughs> Uh, so what was it like? Because I, I know that 13P was all about uh, self-production and giving the playwrights ultimate control over the production. So what was it like working with that structure on this particular play? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, 13P was a wonderful thing to be a part of. And I I recommended to all playwrights and theater makers to, to do this experiment, which is to band together with other artists that, that you that are like-minded and you want to see how get full production. So we banded together, 13 of us, and uh, sort of the initiators were Rob Handel and Anne Washburn and Madeline George, and then there were there were 13 of us in total, and we raised money to support each other's productions, but when you, you had your full production, you were the artistic director. Um, and backing up just quickly, 13P's um, motto was we don't develop plays, we do them. Because all 13 of us had uh, had many, many developmental readings all across the country at different theaters, uh, and yet none of us at that point had had a full um, production. Uh, I had had a couple productions with Club Thumb, but every single other artist, including Sarah Rule, had not had a full production at that point. And so we said, how do you finish a play without a full production? How do you finish... How do you know what your play is doing totally without the audience? And also, we found that plays that were getting produced were a little overdeveloped in the sense that they read very well on the page and they read very well on at reading stands. 
um, because they had so many readings, but they weren't um, they 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 weren't as explored pro- sort of problem plays, plays that like took risks and did strange things were not being produced as um, frequently. And so uh, for my play, what I found out uh, is that I really loved being an artistic director. <laughs> it was great. I got to pick my director, which was Ken Rushmall. He did a wonderful job. I got to pick my designers. I got to pick the space. I got to help with the PR. Um, it was the most challenging thing I've ever done. It, it definitely made me have a lot more respect for producers and artistic directors as far as the amount of... Uh, weight they're carrying when thinking about their audiences and when thinking about what they're making um and which actually i just want to give a shout out to bark room rep to mark sitko because uh he is taking on this role now and i think it's super exciting i think he's Mm going to bring some great theater to los angeles and theater that's already in los angeles uh and i i i tip my hat to mark sitko for (laughs) taking this on. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Barker Room Rep in a second, but I did have a question. There's a wonderful, gorgeous copy of Map of Virtue with Black Cat Loss mm-hmm. at 53rd State Press. It's published. Has this um, uh, drawing of a woman covering her face, which I remember is from a photo that was a big part. So you were talking about being, yes, being, being a part of the, uh, 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 the marketing mm-hmm. of the Map of Virtue. Where did you find that photo? Oh, uh, that's so, thank you for asking. This photo was is a piece of art that my friend, my best friend from childhood, Rebecca Gleason, she manipulated the photo. She had, it is of her, I'm trying to remember if it's of her aunt or of her mother. It's either mm. of her aunt or of her mother uh-huh. when they were a t- teenager. And then she took this old vintage nostalgic photo and um, manipulated it a little bit. And then I took the photo and made a drawing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, that that was was that our was that what we did for thirteen P was that our image? Gosh, I, I think, feel like I remember I that that was. was a part of I, it. Was, it. No, it was. Yeah, yeah. The posters over there. Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> but um, I remember I had this other vision for the for the uh, promotional materials, and I made a drawing um, of the title that um, that I was very excited about. But then when I brought it to the meeting, I thought, Oh no, I don't like this. I don't like what I made, and and I think we have to start over. And Maria Goyanis was our producer, and now she works at the Public Theater. And she was, she was like, "That's right. If you don't love it, let's do it again." Oh wow! So she she's a great producer. But I think um, learning how to push past the first idea, even if you thought it was a really good idea, and push past the better idea is is a great experience for as a producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, so getting back to Bar- Barker Room yeah. Rep, which is uh, based in L.A., um, where the production of A Map of Virtue will be. Um, you grew up in L.A., right? Correct. Oh, I grew yeah. up in Hermosa Beach, California, <laughs> and I have a whole big family there, and they're all coming to see the play <laughs> at the Barker Room Rep, and many, many friends and, and um, colleagues who I'm excited to so what? It, so you grew up in LA. What was what? It, so you probably have some knowledge of what theater is like in LA. Yeah. Uh, how does how, how does Barker Room fit into that? Your understanding of LA theater. Well, I think uh, you know, I think there is some amazing theater happening in LA, uh, and I remember seeing some when I was young. I saw uh, uh, Andrew Robinson in In the Belly of the Beast. 
Uh, and I thought that was a remarkable production. So actually, part of growing up in L.A. was going to very tiny theaters mm. and seeing incredible actors in these teeny tiny theaters. Um, and then, of course, moving to New York, this was also, this is part of our everyday life, is going to these tiny theaters mm. and seeing these amazing actors. But in L.A., I think there are just, le- per capita, less tiny theaters doing really provocative work. And mm. so I think what Barker Room Rep wants to do is is become uh, a magnet for artists who are trying to make work that are, that is very visual or is um, uh, sort of pushing the boundaries of what theater can be and and have the highest quality designers, highest quality actors, highest quality directors, uh, writers, and then keep the prices low. Hmm. So I, I think, I, I have in fact total confidence that Mark will be able to do this because he's already done it in New York City. Mm-hmm. And he is bringing out a couple other New York artists, Eliza Bent and Ben Gassman, to come do late night shows during the run. And um, and Mark is an incredibly talented director, and then also a great playwright himself. So, mm-hmm. but so those other shows, Eliza Bent, Ben Gassman, you've seen those Real Talk, Kip Talk, and uh, yes. Sam's Tea Shack. You've yes. seen those too. I I actually, I, full disclosure, have not seen either of those, <laughs> but I have seen. Ben, much of Ben Gessman's work and Eliza Ben's work, and mm-hmm. I, I really admire them greatly, and they're both um, very, very funny and very strange, um, and I think that's, you know, what Mark is also attracted to. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And, and really, really building a sort of downtown theater community, like downtown New York City theater community right. in Los Angeles. Yes, but I think he's also interested in finding the artists that would be at home in downtown theater in New York City that live in LA. Mm-hmm. So I think one part of his goal will be to bring New York downtown theater artists to LA, but also to cultivate the next generation of experimental and innovative theater makers in Los Angeles that are already there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. I know his designer is, um, one of his designers is a graduate of CalArts, so I'm sure that sort of CalArts oh. scene will... Which, uh, who, who's CalArts kid? I, I I don't know. We have to look at okay, okay. edit, edit that part out, and, or or Paul can edit in who that person is. I think he's making the. Well, I can't say because there's some surprises uh, about the play that I don't want to give away. Oh sure, don't give and away. So it's a terrifying he's making, play. Yeah. He's making something that it goes in the play. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, one other thing I want to tell you about the play. Mm-hmm. If I was, if you've made it this far into the podcast, <laughs> I want to invite. The listeners who enjoy theater that have a character that is not human in it. Mm. Uh, there is a character in the play that is an inanimate object mm-hmm. that is a bird, a bird statue. Mm-hmm. So the reason I'm saying this is personally, I find that very appealing when I read a press release and find out that it, that there's a non-human character in the play. <laughs> sure. <So laughs> I probably should have let off with that one so that people would know that... Uh, but maybe there's other... Um, you know, maybe other people are disturbed by plays that have an inanimate object. Oh well, as, you, a, as a, a main character. Yeah, well, I, yes, I, I think that there might be more to this play that will people will find deeply disturbing than the fact that there is an inanimate character in it. <laughs> okay, good point. Good point. That's just like a start. That's just like a gateway drug yeah, to, the, to the experience of the play. Yeah. Well, this play really, I, I thought that it, it was very effective, and I, I usually don't, I, I don't see plays that I think are effective, effective horror plays, like seeing theater of horror. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't remember ever seeing anything that I thought was particularly effective until I saw 
a map of virtue, mm-hmm. which I thought was horrifying. Uh, yeah. Not because of the bird statue, but because because of the play itself, which won't give away anything that actually yeah. happens in it. Because it's all very surprising, <laughs> very disturbing. The perfect thing to go see at this time of year, That's Halloween true. time. Oh man, That's true. It is. It is. It is it's a very good thing. Halloween play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, we both know Mark Zuko from New York City. Yes. Uh, this community of theater artists in New York City that uh, uh, we are both deeply embedded in, and you have particular connection to the downtown theater community because so many, so many downtown luminaries have actually lived in your building. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. In fact, that Fifty Third State Press, the the first, the introduction. Uh, written by Heidi Schreck and uh, who's Kate who's Ryan, the, yeah, Kate, Kate, Kate Ryan. Ryan. Um, uh, both talk. Uh, they're like in, they're the little foreword talking about how uh, Heidi, in particular, talking about how you are her landlady. That is correct. Yeah, um, yeah. But she has a very funny line about how. Wait, I'm gonna read it. Uh, she says, "Seriously, she's my landlady, but that's misleading. I like to call her that though because it sounds like we live in a 19th century novel." <laughs> Um, oh, but also, oh, we forgot to talk about how Barker Room Rep, it, the name of the company, why yeah. that's significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I teach, I was a student of Mac Wellman's at Brooklyn College. And in the MFA playwriting program. In the MFA program. playwriting program. Mm-hmm. And now I teach with Mac Wellman in the Brooklyn College MFA playwriting program. And the room in which we read these insane plays that these wonderful graduates are or soon to be graduates are writing is called the Barker Room. Mm-hmm. And Mark Sitko uh, was a playwriting student in the Barker Room. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Ketchum as well, who is sitting right here with me at this kitchen table. <laughs> uh, so and we I started that I started as a student in the year 2000. So now there's been about 17 years worth of Barker Room and that was the first year Mac started the program there at Brooklyn College. So there's now 17 years of um, playwrights that have come out of that program, including um, Annie Baker, who also lived in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, very strange playwriting commune building. Um, and Kate Ryan and many other really um, exciting playwrights. So that's why it's called Barker Room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Barker Room, you know, if anybody wants to visualize the Barker Room, it's actually in the Squid and the Whale, I think. Is, it is! is. So when uh, uh, Jeff Daniels, Jeff Daniels, right? Yes. Uh, he's a he's a writing professor. Oh, suppose you know, in a very sort of Brooklyn College way, uh, and they actually filmed uh, quite a few of the workshop scenes in the Barker Room. That's exactly right. Yeah. So if any of you are curious about, if you want to see the actual Barker Room, uh, you can watch it in the Squid and the Whale. In the Squid and the Whale. And in fact, Noah Bombeck's father. Jonathan Bombeck also taught in the Barker Room, mm-hmm. which is, of course, it's uh, well it's well documented that it is a uh, autobiographical film. So, <laughs> <laughs> so oh, what a strange world! Uh, it is absolutely a very strange world. Uh, okay, well, uh, this this is the time where I'm going to ask you what what you're up to, what you're up to right now. Oh. Great. Well, right now I'm busy writing a new, brand new play, which mm-hmm. is a commission for Playwrights Horizons. It is currently titled Anne, Fran, and Mary Ann. <laughs> Anne, Fran, and Mary Ann. Yeah, three, Anne, three names Three in there. female okay. names. Anne, Fran, and Mary Ann. And, <laughs> and, and as my compulsion with symmetry continues, this one also has a lot to do with mirroring um, and mirroring... Uh, it, 
regarding doubling. There's one character who believes her husband has been replaced with a double. And then mm-hmm. there's two characters that are neuroscientists and um, they're studying mirror neurons and they are also studying, uh, they're also <laughs> do some mirroring exercises and techniques. Mm-hmm. So, um, but really the gist of that play is about, percep- is about trauma and perception and mm-hmm. how we, uh, how we perceive things um, post-trauma and, and pre-trauma actually and um, how the brain operates so you've been doing some deep research into mirror neurons and other yes and and other strange neuroscientific um uh happenings neuroscientists are great they are so incredibly creative Mm. they're very creative thinkers and uh i i love reading books about neuroscience so that's been a real pleasure yeah and that's a commission where again playwrights horizons playwrights horizons indeed okay yeah yeah well, how wonderful. Well, there you mentioned you brought you have a book of poetry somewhere. Yes. There is a poem that uh, you were assigned. Is that correct? Oh yes. So yeah. oh, thank you. Let's circle back. Yes, just like just, just like just like thinking in circles <laughs> to the beginning of our interview, in which in which I said I went on this Eric N retreat. Mm-hmm. So a very cool feature of the Eric N uh, playwriting retreat method is the night you get to the retreat. Each playwright gets a poem in an envelope. It's, it's given to you at random, and every poem is different. And he says, uh, try to memorize the poem the first night. Um, you're not allowed to speak, so you have to try to memorize a poem silently, which I found incredibly difficult. Um, but I found that the content of this poem became the spine or the, yeah, the spine of the play, uh, the imagery within it and the content. Uh, it is by Edmund Jabez, who's a, a Egyptian um, Jewish play uh, poet who wrote post Holocaust. This poem uh, translated. This is translated by. Is it pronounced Rosemary? Uh, I think it's Rosemary. Rosemary. Look yeah. at that. There's no ink. Yeah, that is interesting. Rosemary, I don't think I noticed Rosemary that. Rosemary Waldrop. Unless that's a typo. It might be a typo. Okay. Who published this book? Yeah, it can't be. Can it? Oh, it's. Wesley, Wesley University Press. Uh, what a sorry, tangent. Rosemary. Sorry so much, what Rosemary. Maybe it's, off no, I think it's pronounced. Fans. I hear it is too, but I think it's pronounced Rosemary. Okay, it's a beautiful translation, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm, it's not long, so I'm going to read it. And uh, if it's too long, they'll edit it out, and we'll just you'll just have to imagine this beautiful poem. Um, that I tried to memorize in the woods in silence. Or did, were you able to memorize it? No. Okay. There were little little pieces. Uh-huh. But since you don't know this poem and you know the play, mm-hmm. I feel you oh. will see how it is sort of a structural spine. Interesting. Um, it's written... Okay, here we go, here we go. Uh, never mind that. Um, it's an excerpt of a larger poem. I do not know if you were taught that the earth is round, like thirst, and that when lovers' shadows move at the approach of dawn, the poet's tongue, the tongue of wells and centuries, is dry, is rough and dry. It has done so much service and disservice, has been so long exposed to the air, to the noise, to its own words, that it has hardened, glazed, and crumbled. After the road and before the road, There are stones and ashes on scattered stones. The book rises out of the fire of the prophetic rose from the scream of the sacrificed petals. Smoke, smoke, 
for all who see only fire, who smell only dawn and death. But the order of summits, the order of ruins, is wedding gladness. The commentary of Reb Zam. You enter the night as a thread enters the needle, through an opening propitious or bloody, through the most luminous breach. Being both thread and needle, you enter the night as you enter yourself. Uh, I certainly do see how that uh, is quite central. Some of the images in there are quite central yes, uh, yeah. to the play itself. And then also this idea of a, ret- a circular, uh, like a circular structure. The mm-hmm. earth is round. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, also this line, you enter the night as a thread enters the needle through an opening propitious or bloody. <laughs> Even though... There's any blood in the play? <laughs> yeah, yeah but, I think that's true. I don't think that we see. Yeah, let's not spoil that though, <laughs> either. There's lots of blood. Who knows if there's knows? lots of blood? There might be, there blood. Might be tons like of blood the in this play. The elevator opens, and I think that I think the thing that everybody's getting from this podcast is actually mm-hmm. that nobody knows what happens in the play. Not yes. a single person. No, actually in knows. fact, right? It's, you're sworn to, or if you go see it, you're sworn to secrecy, and you cannot <laughs> tell us all. Just because I lost a couple bets don't mean I lost my way Just because the coast of California called my soul from Cope, New York Don't mean I'm done with wondering I'm gonna see the world someday, someday Hello again everybody, I hope you enjoyed the interview As someone who has worked on the play on and off for the past five years I found it fascinating to hear Aaron talk about the sort of conditions and works that inspired the finished piece just as a couple footnotes, the Cal Arts kid on our design team for MAP that Aaron and Paul talked briefly about is Carlo Magaron, our scenic designer. And the music you have been listening to throughout this episode is the one and only Ian Merrigan's song, Someday, off his EP by the very same name. And you can see Carlo and Ian's work very, very soon in our production of A Map of Virtue. Previews are November 2nd and 3rd, and as I said at the top of the show... Opening is on the 4th, and we run until the 18th. All shows start at 8 p.m. at the Atwater Village Theater, with the exception of our two matinees, one on November 5th and the other on November 18th, which start at 4 p.m. instead. We're also bringing out two other shows from New York to the Atwater Village Theater during our run, Real Talk Kip Talk and Sam's Tea Shack. Real Talk Kip Talk is a series of live talk shows about the state of contemporary performance, which runs on November 10th at 10 p.m. and on November 11th at the very same time. Sam's Tea Shack is a theatrical experience described as a malleable exchange between writer-performer Sam Soger and the audience. The show runs on November 16th and 17th at 10 p.m. and on November 18th at 1 p.m. And to buy tickets and get even more info about all of these productions and more, head over to our website at www.barkeroomrep.org. That's www.barkeroomrep.org. That's our episode. Thanks for joining us. To keep up with the show or the company, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at BarkeroomRep. I won't spell it again. Don't worry. We got lots more stuff coming, and we are very excited to share it with you here on Barker Room Radio. Someday